Okay. I'm not sure I really need the microphone. We're a small group. I want to thank you so much for coming. I'm Barbara Slavin. Uh, I run the Future of Iran Initiative here at the Atlantic Council. And one of the missions that we have is to put on programs that show that Iran is more than a nuclear program and uh, more than just a, a player in Middle East conflicts. And uh, so it was suggested to me by Shakruz that we should, we should highlight some contemporary Iranian art. Uh, I was reminded of uh, a visit I had to Iran in 1998 or 9 when I was taken to a wonderful gallery in North Tehran uh, that featured the artworks of Abbas Kiryastami, the late filmmaker. He was also a very, very accomplished artist. Uh, anybody who knows anything about Iran knows that it has a tremendous and long tradition of uh, artistic excellence. And so this is a chance to uh, discuss some of what is being done now, both in Iran and in the diaspora. And um, I'm really excited about it. So we're going to start with a, a short documentary on the graphic design of Mehdi Saidi, who I believe is now living in Philadelphia. Yeah but uh, got his start in Iran and he has an exhibit uh, in, in town right now. So let's, I guess we'll turn off the lights and we'll start with that and then we'll move on. Okay. So please, yeah. can we get some, uh, a little more volume maybe? جریان گرافیک محاصر ایران را به جریان طراحی پوستر لهستان در دهه شهست تشبیه می کنم. از این نظر که قضاوت های صورت گرفته در مورد این دو جریان به هم نزدیکند. به عنوان مثال به اشتباه از یک سبک پوستر لهستانی صحبت به میان آورده می شود. حالان که هر یک از هنرمندان این جریان شیوه خاص و بدی را گسترش می دادند. در مورد گرافیک ایران نیز همین گونه است. قنای آن مربوط به سبک های فردی، متنوع و همچنین استعدادهای گوناگونی است که آن را می‌سازد و نه یک نفر. امروز نوبت مهدی سعیدی است که جوایز و افتخارات را درو کند. من از مدت‌ها پیش تصاویر کارهای او را مشاهده کرده بودم و کاملا تصور می‌کردم که این موفقیت می‌بایست روزی از راه برسد. مهدی سعیدی بیش از یک تر راه گرافیک جلوه گرمی شود او یک خالق است 
و تصاویری خلق می کند که وجودشان از خودشان است و این کار ساده نیست شدم که چطور یک گرافیست کوشای بسیار با استعداد دنیایی ساخته و این دنیا رو آرام آرام شکل داده و به صورتی پرسمر و جذاب توانست ارزه بکنه خب این کتاب آقای سعیدی یکی از اونهاست که اون فضای خالی کتاب گرافیک در ایران رو پر میکنه کاری که مهدی با نوشتار میکنه در دو بخش میشه بهش توجه کرد نوشتار به مسابه نوشتار نوشتار برای رسوندن مفاهیم نهفته در خود تصاویر نوشتاری و نوشتار به عنوان یک تصویر انتظایی و جدای از مفاهیمی که در خود نوشتار دیده میشه مهدی سعیدی آنچه که از قرن چهاردهم در خوشنویسی در قالب مرق بسم الله تا به امروز رسیده است را در استفاده کاربردی، تزیینی و مفهومی و به صورت تصاویر مرتبط با سوژه در کارهای خود به شکلی بسیار فاخر و ظریف و شخصی به کار برده است که در پوسترهای جشنواره موسیقی و ذکرال زاکرین به شکلی کاملا استثنایی و منحصر به فرد دیده می شود شکلایی که ابدا کرده و حاصل داده 
نوعی مهر معنای خاص خودش رو در حقیقت برپیشونی داره در سالهای اخیر که نسل نوع طراحان گرافیک پرداختن به اینکه به پیشینه کهنمون رجوع بکنند و عناصر بصری شناخته شده و شاخصی رو کشف بکنند و به شکل مدرن در کارشون بیارند خوشبختانه چندتایی هستند که بسیار هم خوشکار و خوشنام هستند و در حوزه گرافیک بین المللی هم به شهرتی رسیدند مهدی سعیدی یکی از اون جوانان بازوغ و با است که خیلی زود خودشون نشون داد و زود هم همگان درکش کردم و زود هم در حقیقت این شهرت بین المللی رو با ارائه آثارش یافت و این مزیت نمایش شکل متفاوت گرافیک ایرانی رو دوباره تونست همراه دیگر دوستان بست و توسعه بده بسیاری از تراحان گرافیک برجسته دنیا و ایران در مصاحبه ها و یادداشتهایشان به استایل شخصی مهدی سعیدی اشاره کردند. کارهای او روح خوشنویسی دارند و کاملا ایرانی هستند. آیدین آقداشلو منتقد هنری درباره آثار او میگوید من کمتر رفیسی رو در نسل این سالهای بعد از انقلاب در دو دهی پیش به این طرف سراغ دارم که این چنین توانسته باشه دنیای متفاوت و خاص به وجود بیاره در کار بعضی از گرافیست های خیلی معتبر و کوشایی که هم نسل من بودند هم باز من چنین حاصلی رو کمتر دیدم شاید محدود باشن گرافیست که از دهه چهل کارشون رو شروع کرده باشن و به خلق دنیای شخصی خودشون رسیده باشن و دست پیدا کرده باشن دنیایی که خیلی مشکل در عرصه گرافیک با این همه تنوع با این همه امکان ارتباطات و با این همه تقلید تحت تاثیر قرار گرفتن توانسته باشه که جای خودش رو به دست آورده باشه ثبت کرده باشه این رنه ونر مجموعه دار بیندول مللی پوستر درباره آثار وی میگوید پوسترهای سعیدی به لحاظ ذاتی به طرز خیر کننده زنده غیر محمول و کاملا جدید است یوجی ساتو تراح و استاد ژاپنی درباره آثار او میگوید استفاده منحصر به فرد سعیدی از هنر خوشنویسی در پوسترهای او به وضوح قابل رویت است نیکولاس تراکسلر 
طراح برجسته سوئیسی درباره آثار او میگوید گره‌گشایی های گرافیکی سعیدی تنها مرا مجذوب خود نکرد بلکه نوایی بود که در دلتنی نفکند این آثار بیش از همیشه علاقمندی مرا به طراحی ایرانی برانگیخت که همچنان از نظر من نه تنها پدیده حقیقتا جالب و جذاب بلکه دست نیافتنی و رازآلود است کار سیدی رنگارنگند متنوعند از خوشنویسی قدیم ایرانی بسیار خوب استفاده کرده و میشناسه این خوشنویسی رو با این اشراف و آگاهی رو داره که فقط نخواد غالب رو انتخاب بکنه و نسبت به متن بیگانه و دور باشه چیزی در درون اون حرکت کرده که توانسته با اناسور متنوع جهان ماسر همه پیدا میکنه اندیشه میکنه و فکر میکنه و ظرافت های میشه گفت حتی شاعرانه در کاراش هست مخصوصا در این اثر که شهرت هم یافت و تونست با پوسترش در حوزه بسری با همه ارتباط برقرار بکنه و حضور خط نستریق فارسی و یا شکست نستریق فارسی رو به همگان در جهان بیشتر به شناسونه زرفیت های بسری این خط و یا در بسیاری از کارهای دیگرش و یا اونجاهایی که تبدیل میکنه به شکلهایی گرچه ممکنه خیلی ها اونهایی که در خارج هستن ژاپنی انگلیسی، آلمانی یا هر زبان دیگری اول با شکل آشنا بشن اما درک این که این با رفتار خوشنویسانه انجام شده فوری کشف میشه و عامل اصلی موفقیت مهدی سعیدیه سن 23 سالگی اولین جایزه بین المللی گرافیک ایران را بعد از انقلاب اسلامی از هفدهمین دو سالانه بین المللی پوستر مکزیک در سال 2002 از آن خود کرده و نامش در کنار بزرگان طراحی گرافیک دنیا در جوایز ارزشمندی ماننده جایزه بزرگ دو سالانه بین المللی دعوتی پوستر اوزاکای ژاپن در سال 2010 جایزه بزرگ نمایشگاه بین المللی تایوان سال 2009 جایزه بزرگ نمایشگاه بین المللی دعوتی پوستر کلارادو 2007 و جایزه اول دو سالانی پوستر اسلواکی جایزه ویشه دو سالانی پوستر لهستان مدال برونز دو سالانی تایوان 
جایزه سوم دو سالانه اوکراین جایزه ویژه دو سالانه کلورادوی آمریکا جایزه سه سالانه مونس بلژیک جایزه ویژه دو سالانه ترناوا اسلوواکی و دهها نمایشگاه در سراسر دنیا دیده می شود. حضور در بیش از 250 نمایشگاه داخلی و بین المللی برگزاری ورکشاپ های متعدد سخنرانی در نقاط مختلف دنیا و چاپ آثار وی در کتب مرجع طراحی گرافیک در کنار کسب دهها جایزه منحصر به فرد برزنده آثار و حضور وی را سیرگزار کرده و او را به عنوان هنرمندی شاخص و جهانی به ما معرفی می کند. I think that was fascinating. We're going to see a couple more presentations now. Uh, we have uh, wonderful speakers here, and we're really, really lucky. Um, let's see. I think the next one we're going to do is going to be from uh, Bahar. Yeah. Should we put yours up next? Which is next? Which is ready? Can we do Bahar next? Okay, great. Uh, Bahar uh, Jalal Mahmoudi is an Iranian American artist who works as an installation artist and photographer. Uh, you have her bio, I hope, uh, outside. Um, her work celebrates femininity through the socio-cultural mirror of Persian artistic culture. It originates in personal experiences, but ultimately addresses universal artistic, political, and social ideas and aspirations. So let us see Laird. And uh, would you like to uh, narrate as we go? Sure. Okay, I think you have a microphone there, so if, if there's anything you'd like to say as we go through, um, do you need the clicker here? Um, I think so. Okay. for me to be here and um, since I'm not an art historian or art critique um, I will just tell you a little about my own art practice today um, and also share some of my experiences with you um, my work um, is about identity and this constant um, search for it so it's an identity search as an Iranian as a woman and also as uh, an immigrant um, so the first um, body of work that I will show you, um, um, the title is Layered, and um, they are, um, th this is actually a, um, um, 
um, project that I started in 2013, uh, but it's an ongoing um, project. Um, these are layers of fabric and wax. Um, the material is um, fabric, but um, they're actually fabric coming from my own closet. So they're my own clothing, uh, fabric from uh, my own furniture, like tablecloth, newspapers, magazines, and notebooks. Um, so these are uh, pieces made with very personal uh, material in a shape of a book. Uh, but the way that they're combined and put together with wax uh, makes them um, in a way that you, you still can't open or read. Um, or view them. So they actually remain personal and private. Um, this is just a detail of that same piece. A few more from um, the same series. And um, the title layered comes from the fact that these are actually layers of uh, material but also from my interest in this act of layering. Um, layering of material, layering of uh, elements, and layering of concepts. And um, that layering might be the shared um, similarity in all my works. Um, the next installation that I'm gonna uh, show you called Dream Journal, um, which is actually from my latest um, exhibition um, here in DC. It was actually last month at Hellier Art Space. And um, it's called Dream Journal because they are my dreams, um, written in Persian on bed sheets. Um, and um, the way that um, this layering happens here is by writing a few times over each line. So we don't have layers of fabric here, but we have layers of script. Um, and as you can imagine, that makes the text unreadable. So even if you know the Persian language, you still can't read or understand them. Um, you may ask why dreams? Why are they even important? And what does it have to do with the kind of work that I do? Um, it's just that I wanted to approach this topic of identity from my dreams this time from this altered um, state of consciousness and to question what is this state of consciousness? Um, what is it that I'm watching or uh, looking at every night and what it has to do with my identity and who I am? Um, the next um, installation um, called Dreamscape is another piece from that same exhibition. And um, they're basically the landscape of my dreams. Um, the material is um, uh, women's nylon pantyhose. Um, so the pantyhose is waxed and stretched and um, shaped into these um, fragmented pieces. Um, and there are other materials in it, like my own hair. Um, and if we look closely, which I tried to show here, I'm not sure if it's um, clear, but um, there are um, sculptural pieces in forms of body parts, like there is a hand um, right there, hands, arms, and body parts. Um, and um, they, this makes the work, as you can see, very, since the source of the, uh, of the work um, is actually my dreams, they're very personal, very feminine, 
pinkish, pale, um, surreal, and also sexual as dreams might be. Um, and um, since um, I, I mentioned that uh, pantyhose and women's nylon um, is my main material, um, I'm going to show you um, the last installation um, images from last installation, which actually was when I first started to work with this material, pantyhose. Um, and um, in order to do that, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, my experience growing up in Iran. Um, and I hope that puts my work into the larger context of today's um, discussion. Um, I um, uh, grew up during Iran's Iraq war. Um, and um, that lasted for eight years. That's basically all my childhood. And um, what I witnessed during those times was how Iranian women around me, like my own mom and aunts, um, actually brought light and happiness into our lives where, in fact, wasn't much of it outside. Um, so I chose this feminine material, pantyhose. Um, they're hand-dyed in henna, which is or was traditionally um, used as a beauty product by some Iranian women. Um, and they're stretched, bent, um, and some of them are pierced with this very sharp metal um, in the middle. So all the elements here are used symbolically. Um, and they all point to what I witnessed during those times, um, all these Iranian women around me, their resilience and endurance. Um, and there is a short video, it's just one minute, um, um, in which I explore the same material, pantyhose, uh, with a different medium, video and film. Um, and um, I'm exploring this idea of confinement um, and freedom um, through that video. <laughs> it wasn't easy to walk like that. <laughs> Straight up. another one where you put on 50 pairs of pantyhose one over the other I watched yes. that how many how many were there um, it was actually closer to 100 it was incredible oh, and by the end you can barely move because there's so so many layers constraining it was quite 
extraordinary. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. Um, next, we're going to see a PowerPoint from Leela uh, Nazimian. She's the Curatorial and Special Projects Associate at the uh, Leila Heller Gallery in New York City, uh, where she's organized over 15 exhibitions, including solo shows by artists uh, such as Hadia Shafia, Reza Aramesh, Shiva Ahmadi, and the group uh, exhibition Calligraffiti. Um, so let us set that one up and we will see that next. Hello. <laughs> so thank you so much, Barbara. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, program at the gallery and then I'm going to talk about uh, a project that I did in Tehran uh, this past April. So um, the gallery that I work at, Leila Heller Gallery, is in Chelsea. Uh, and uh, about 30 years ago, uh, Leila Heller started uh, her gallery in the Upper East Side. And she started working predominantly with uh, Iranian artists and Middle Eastern artists, and then slowly um, continued to. And she was one of the first people in New York City to be working with um, artists from the region. Uh, so she has quite a history behind her. And, She's been doing this for many years, and um, the current program at the gallery is a little more diverse. We work with artists from all over the world, but we still have um, a focus on Middle Eastern and Iranian art specifically. So one of the ways that she did, um, sorry, is this from here? Do you hear like the echo? No. Okay. Um, so she often tried to bring Middle Eastern art um, and different movements in Middle Eastern and Iranian art in conversation with uh, Western movements. So Calligraffiti was a really good example of this. It was a show that she had originally curated with Jeffrey Deitch, who uh, was the um, director of MOCA in LA. And uh, they put this show on together in 1984. And in 2013, we had a um, sort of a remake um, we redid the show, so I wonder if I can. This is the same way as a Mac. Can I just? They all open. Okay, so I just wanted to show you a lot of images of the kinds of work that we did show there. So, Calligraffiti was about um, bringing together works by um, calligraphy artists throughout the Middle East, not just Iranian uh, Arab calligraphy, uh, graffiti artists and abstract expressionists, and also Latrice artists, which is a very sort of obscure movement um, from the 40s in France, so we don't need to focus on that. But basically, it was looking at these very different movements in art and how they have some certain similarities, certain differences. Um, and so this is, for example, a work by an artist that we represent, Puran Jinshi. She's um, similar a little to what your work was on the, the layering of um, of text on so that you can no longer read what it's saying. So here she's been layering um, text and usually poetry. This is Puran Jinshi, she's an Iranian artist uh, based in New York City, and this is the use of plexi, um, plexiglass on it. I think the images are a little out of order. Oh, so this is, for example, uh, a body of work. Uh, this was all one work, and a different plexi of different sizes that was all displayed on a um, on a shelf. And so this is the work by Lee Krasner, for example. She's an abstract expressionist. And just looking at the ways in which, not only aesthetically, but you know, that this is a work by um, 
Leila Pazuki, just, just I'm showing you sort of a crazy amount of different works, but just to show you the breadth of also the kind of works and also uh, the way that a lot of Iranian artists have a very is diverse. Neon or? It's neon, yeah. So it says this is not green. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was, she made this during the green movement in Iran. <laughs> and it also references a lot of the, uh, I mean, if anyone, anyone who's been to Iran knows that neon is everywhere, overused. So it's a very common sort of all throughout the streets. So the idea of using neon in this case was also purposeful. Um, referencing sort of the, you know, the landscape of Tehran itself, the urban landscape. Um, this is a work by um, Rostar. He is a graffiti artist. And so just looking at how you could think that this is someone perhaps from the Middle East or an Iranian, you'd never imagine he's actually a Korean um, graffiti artist. <laughs> so it's just looking at the ways in which, you know, you never, you know, there are a lot of similarities and a lot of, um, references that he did look he did study Middle Eastern calligraphers when he was working so um, this is a series of uh, prints from Jackson Pollock so we just really layered together these things and I'm gonna start this is yes, by this is lovely, yeah Tana Voli he's a um, well-known very well <laughs> um, Iranian sculptor and um, so this show was not only contemporary artists but obviously also modern artists as well. So this is Zenderudi. I'm just sort of going through these um, quite quickly just so we can get an idea. This is by a um, Tunisian graffiti artist, LC. And this is by an artist that I'm gonna show some more work um, by Hadiya Shafi. Um, she sort of abstracts the word love, ish, um, I don't think, yeah, here is a uh, more of a sort of a detail shot and um, sort of goes against the whole idea of Nastali of Persian calligraphy, which is a very um, strict, has a set of strict rules where she works with calligraphy, but writes like a child purposefully, which a lot of Iranian purist calligraphers will be very <laughs> upset about, but that's the whole point of sort of pushing the boundaries of what calligraphy is and what we're used to. So this is a latrice artist. We can, so that's for this exhibition. Um, and then I am going to show a little bit um, the kind of other works that other artists do. So this is Reza Aramesh. He's uh, an Iranian artist. I worked on two exhibitions with him, one in New York uh, in five nightclubs. He's a, he's a multidisciplinary artist, so he, uh, and also conceptual, so he doesn't necessarily have any medium. For these two projects, they were, they were all, um, sculptures that he had made in Italy. So I wonder if it's just one. Okay. So uh, he is quite taken by the uh, images of violence and death uh, in the media. Violence from war and um, natural disasters, things like that. So um, he recreates uh, these images of mostly of soldiers. So this whole series is about soldiers that were, uh, these works were, and so this is, for example, images that you see in the media. He has them recreated by master um, sculptors in Italy, and they're sort of uh, made in this sort of Baroque Renaissance style. And uh, this is sort of a project that we did in Five Night Clubs in New York in which uh, you know, they were installed in cages and boxes and sort of this idea, this obsession that people have. And 
at this in this day and age that we have of looking at these images of violence, but actually not really. They we look at them and they pass us, and we we're, we're obsessed with them. We we want to look at them, but then we forget them. And so this is this whole concept where they're behind bars in different ways. Um, another project that I did with him was in Dubai. It was a pop up, and um, he. So uh, this was one, there were two works in this show. Again, this was uh, a soldier that was actually uh, a Palestinian uh, civilian being, uh, you know, at a checkpoint, at an Israeli checkpoint. So he doesn't only focus on Iran, he's done a lot of work with Iran-Iraq war images and sort of all throughout the Middle East. Um, and, uh, and so this was just very shocking. So this very empty, dark room walking in. Um, and this is another sort of detail. This is on Carrera Marble, so um, it's also the the experience of actually being in a room alone with this work um, and the the violence that humans commit against other humans. And this is another work. These are slide projectors, so these are manipulated images that of people in, that were you know arrested. Or, uh, and then another. Um, so we saw some of Hedia's works. She is uh, actually from DC. She recently relocated to New York, but she works with paper and calligraphy. And you can see that she stacks uh, rolls of paper. She paints them, stacks them, and then rolls them, and they're absolutely like a burst of beautiful color. Um, this is, these are some installation shots of a show that we had of hers uh, a few years ago. The solo show in New York at our gallery, so you can get um, sort of a sense of our gallery space. So this, is a, this is a large sculptural piece in the middle. These are all, this all paper. And these are rolled pieces of paper, if you can believe it. And so this is a work that on the one hand, she's written on the edges um, of the paper, and then on the other hand, she's rolled the same sort of the you know, uh, coded and decoded, as she likes to call it. And so this is just the different range of how she plays with abstraction, with color, usually not for this work, but maybe, for example, for these are just other installation works. For example, for these works, she only uses, let's say, nine colors. But with the combinations that she creates, our, our eyes see many more colors. So she often um, plays with color as well. It's a big. So this was a show that she had. Um, and then finally, I um, recently uh, curated a show in Tehran at a gallery um, called Mosan Gallery. And it was the first show of contemporary Arab art in Iran. And the reason I did this was because, um, one, the I want to give back also to the art scene in Iran. There is um, the fact that there was never a show that Arab artists had never shown in Iran was very shocking to me. And I wanted to diversify and sort of complexify this relationship because a lot of Iranian artists, I don't know how familiar um, the crowd is today with the um, art scene um, in the Middle East, but um, a lot of Iranian artists are very well respected and very well supported throughout the Middle East, um, especially in other Arab countries as well. And for reasons that I will not get into, <laughs> which um, 
you know, it hasn't been reciprocated in Iran itself, where there are not really any Arab artists showing in Iran. And so this was a chance for me to sort of work with a gallery based in Tehran to bring this. So this is, these are some images of the opening. Um, when was this? This was in April. April, okay. This was in April. That this is, is great. an odd picture of me. <laughs> People will get a good sense of what hijab looks like in Iran right yeah, now. Yeah, so this so. is, for example, work of a Saudi artist, um, Arwal Naomi. And just for a chance for, I know this is a, a, um, the artist, this is the artist himself, and there's always photographs around him. He's known to pose like this in his photographs. So, um, so they were arranged, and these were artists from the Gulf uh, region, from the Gulf states. So it was interesting to talk about how, for example, there were, um, this is another Saudi artist who actually kind of has on you right Yeah, it's on you, you should go see it. <laughs> it's amazing work. It's Close truly. Yeah. This is on Sunday, so. And go see it. His name is Ahmed Matar, and actually he'll be here, sorry, yes, he'll be here on Saturday for He's our screening and a public yeah. program, so all of you are welcome to come from 6 to 8 in the Discovery Theater of the Smithsonian. So. Yes, please go. It is truly amazing, and he's such a wonderful and, you know, smart person. So this is some of his work at the idea of, especially with the climate in Iran right now and the region is with Saudi Arabia, you know, it was really important to have Saudi artists and to show sort of the way that, you know, life is there. And we had some here just to end with some of the artworks themselves. Um, for example, we had the work of a, I'm going to get to her, the work of a Emirati artist and Iranians travel to the Emirates to Dubai regularly it is the destination this is her work and i asked a lot of people and of course the, i would tell you 99 percent of iranians have never met an emirati and never been in an emirati's home so this whole her whole project her name is lamia gargash was about um interiors the majlis which um is sort of an interior seating area very common very important in all types of um ooh, all uh, walks of life of sort of emirati life so anyone of any class will always have a majlis is the most important. I think these are very high res images. Um, it's a very important room. So this was important for me to sort of bring this and, and create this exchange between neighbors, you know, because there's always such an exchange between the West and Iran, between the Middle East and the, the East and the West, and East and the West, and it was sort of like, how can we talk about ourselves and our region in a constructive and in a respectful way? Um, and so this is the work of Tariq Al Hussein, a Kuwaiti artist, Kuwaiti Palestinian artist. Um, and this is an Iraqi artist, um, Wafa Bilal. Um, these are all maquettes of actually also images from the media, uh, photojournalists that he recreated in a tiny uh, form. This is in Saddam Hussein's palace. This was Al Mutanabe Street, which was their main street of their of commerce in Iraq, destroyed during the war. Um, this is the work of Arwa Al Nami, uh, the uh, the Saudi artist as well. So this is sort of she basically hid a camera in her um, in her veil um, and started taking footage and photographs of um, uh, amusement park in Saudi Arabia, the south of Saudi Arabia. So and this is Ahmed Mater again. So just this is all he documents sort of the gentrification of Mecca. Um, and so you can see how it's, it's just very interesting, go see the show, you don't need to hear me talk about it. <laughs> but they're amazing images, videos, it's a really powerful uh, work. And so that's pretty much what I'll say. I love Ara and Naomi's work too. I, I mean, they're fun lens. So you see that was fantastic. the difference between... That is fantastic. Sorry, I'm over.
That was fantastic. Okay, more riches. Next, um, we have uh, Hengameth uh, Fuladvan. She's executive director of the Center for Iranian Modern Arts, a cultural organization geared to promoting Iranian-American contemporary arts. She's an artist, poet, and scholar. She's created artwork featured in numerous solo uh, and group shows. Um, and I believe she has some handouts, which she's going to pass around. Uh, and she's going to uh, talk about, uh, thank you, um, the uh, Iranian feminist art, a comparative look at art production in two generations. So turn on your microphone and uh, tell us all about it. And thank you for coming from New York, both you and, and Leela. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Barbara. Thank you. Uh, so as she mentioned, my um, topic is Iranian feminist art, a comparative look at art production in two generations. So uh, let me go back to 1979. In the history of Iran's modern art production, the decades of 60s and 70s are significant periods. These were the first decades in which women modern artists were given exposure to set up exhibitions and show their artworks. Although they gained many opportunities to participate in various aspects of modern life, what seems lacking is any kind of art aiming towards change or improvement in existing social and cultural inequalities. Pointing to differential treatment that existed between men and women, that's lacking. Many of these artists were European educated and familiar with feminist art of the 70s. And I can always later come back and talk about the methodology, but let me just give you the first the thesis first. And uh, so they had famous main protégés. They were eloquent in the second language. They studied in Europe and in the United States. They, uh, these protégés, they, uh, prom they were pro promoting their works and were often free to show almost any type of works as long as it was not political. Sounds familiar. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they stayed away from <laughs> issues of equality, self and body. And we'll get into that later. At the time, and this is the important part, at the time when women artists in Europe and the United States reflected on a long series of social injustices, women's issues don't seem to be even a serious sub-issue in the works of our women artists of the time. Did they find it sufficient just to be given opportunities to exhibit their works? What problems did they encounter? So I have examined the works of several modern women artists, and you see a couple of them here as a sample. These were the trendsetters of the time who studied abroad and later returned and worked in Iran. For example, Khanum Saad, as she was called, and Hosseini, Khanum Mansure Hosseini. All these women, women exhibited internationally, showed their works along with men, and however, as much as their works were unique and commendable, in regards to the modernist criteria, they show no tendencies towards the ongoing feminist art in the West. So why is it important? Consider that 
this time, at this time, the most famous women artists in the U.S. and internationally were producing works that reflected their lives and experiences. The feminist art movement started in the 60s and flourished throughout the 70s in the U.S. and in Europe. It focused on issues related to body and self in particular. Some pre-revolution women artists did experiment with figurative styles, for example, portraits. Most stayed away from figure drawing. Many took path of non-representational and gestural abstraction, including Khanum Hosseini and Bechazal. So what women issues did they encounter and how did they embrace modernity? That's very important. Most women rights in Iran were not secured by women themselves, but were granted to them. Women's rights were granted but not ingrained, nor were they taught or insisted upon extensively. In the decades before 1979 revolution, Iranian artists experimented with many modern styles, but avoided all body-related art along with any delicate styles and decorative works. I suggest that the newly granted rights were difficult to be culturally institutionalized, even by women, and this reflected in their works. In addition to traditionally um, the discriminatory norms and practices that were traditional, a very harsh paternal language helped this. There was a system that provided modern Iranian women more reasons to adopt a masculine approach and not celebrate their female sexuality, which consequently reflected in their art and production. So in order to create a frame of reference, let me remind you that embracing modernity in the works of modern artists was incremental, one that made sure it was not considered a threat to women's ladylike behavior, <laughs> and chastity in the eyes of Tehran's art scene, and of course the rest of the society. Modernity could not fully thrive before women abandoned a passive attitude, and before women aspired towards a sense of assertiveness, choice, result, and accomplishment. In other words, the quality and condition of being modern was embraced only if it was, and still is, easy and bearable without a heavy burden on the issue of purity and respect. Consider the importance of chastity and sexual abstinence before marriage, haki and nejabat and effat. The factors of sexual purity, virginity, concepts fully internalized in Iranian culture. Religiosity inhibited the process of emancipation and modernity as a whole which is reflected in women's arts production as related to issues of body, privacy, and individuality. Well, one might argue that women artists of the time, like many other intellectuals of those decades, realized that religiosity is a hurdle. Well, that proved that they were setting foot in the realm of modernity. That is true. However, point of my presentation is they had replaced religiosity with another burden, that of honor, one of being khanum, ladylike, serious, respectable, and deep. Other factors such as fear of being labeled leftist, 
or unpatriotic also kept them from transcending before, beyond self-censorship and blockage in order to embrace a renaissance in modern artistic production. Since decorative works and crafts are traditionally considered feminine, very often we see Iranian modernist trendsetters' work insist on, on being non-feminine, trying to negate the stereotypes of women by not being labeled handicraft artists and avoiding decorative tendencies. What is obvious is that women modernists purposefully did not produce works to fall in the categories of delicate, fragile, gracious, and precious in order not to be counted as feminine and avoid being labeled weak, both technically and as a gender. So how did they uh, encounter public space and depiction of body? Although we see some male artists attempting to draw imaginary nudes, in the case of Iranian women's art production, there was rarely any attempt. Among women artists, a Swiss-raised Iranian by the name of Nasrine Irabani showed her nudes at Sehun Gallery in 1976, which faced numerous harsh criticism, and audiences' reactions were for most part unforgiving. Today, though, story is different. We see more academic and historical publications about feminist art and radical texts on women's struggle in other parts of the world, along with social media that have opened the channels of communication. And this leads us to examine a specific characteristic of American and European, European feminist art, and that of bringing the personal and uh, private into public space. The notion of public outcry, expressing inner thoughts, speaking out about sex and violence and unequal treatments, concepts in contrast with the ideas of ladylike behavior, purity, virginity, and sanctity of private space are considered cutting edge and legitimate issues to delve into. Many contemporary artworks indicate a desire to question the unaccepted social norms and religious codes. Today, numerous works are informed by the social and cultural restrictions facing women. Numerous artists focus on body, self, and advocacy. These artists have been able to substitute and convert their internalized sense of guilt or unease or blame or anger into comic, tragic, and whimsical visual commentaries in order to point to the inequalities around them. So in conclusion, during the 60s and 70s in Iran, most major art exhibitions displayed no social commentary dealing with problems facing women. Today, infusion of social media and reversal of many granted rights and programs leads women artists to constantly push the boundaries and incorporate social issues in their art productions. They are able to laugh at themselves or reflect the unjust norms of the society, bringing their concerns to forefront. And these women artists try not to look at issues with a masculine gaze and use humor and other visual language to express themselves. The artworks have become assertive, 
vocal and informed, thus breaking the taboos and considering the importance of body and self as a whole are more and more a political dilemma. Whereas the themes of women's freedom and their rights were previously a civic concern, they have now become politically charged problems to be handled by the restrictive regime and a cause for women activism. So, that was the... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know how many of you saw there was an exhibition at the National Museum of Women in, in the Arts recently that had uh, some of the same artists, including um, Shadi uh, Gadirian. Uh, uh, there are some of her, some of the, the images here, and of course, a lot of you probably are familiar with Shireen Nashat and her work uh, as well. So I think it's interesting that we actually are seeing more avant-garde work yes. now yes. from women under the Islamic Republic than in some ways we did under the Shah. Just one of the many contradictions about Iran. Um, Carol, um, for our, our final speaker, we have we are very very lucky uh, to have Carol Ha. She's Associate Curator, curator of Contemporary Asian Art. Um, she's the Freer Sackler, Sackler Gallery's first curator of contemporary art. And I think you're going to show us uh, something that will give us a sense of the roots of, of, of this artistic work that we've been looking at. Yeah? Sorry, yes. Okay, please. Turn this on. So um, thank you, Barbara and everybody, um, for inviting me to this wonderful group of speakers. Um, Modern and contemporary Iranian art, I know you wanted me to provide an overview at the outset, but as we can see, there's an already just here an incredible diversity and a great deal of activity. Um, from the museum perspective, there has been uh, increased exposure, uh, just a few examples among many, uh, in addition to all of the gallery work that Lila has been doing um, in, excuse me, in museums, um, We've had uh, the Landmark Without Boundary exhibition at MoMA in 2006, so already 10 years ago. Um, Iran Modern at Asia Society and uh, Unedited History that was shown in Paris and Rome and it covered the period from 1960 to 2014. And that's just a handful, plenty of others. So rather than try to do justice to this incredible diversity um, from Iran and the Iranian diaspora, I wanted to perhaps take a few minutes and turn our attention back to the graphic arts um, and my sort of first forays into parsing Saidi's work and some of the traditions perhaps that he comes from. Um, this is really for the first time that I've sort of encountered his work, so bear with me, but I'm going to go back maybe about five centuries, back and forth a little bit, uh, and um, um, really try to get a sense or to convey a sense of the enduring importance and the profound complexity of the calligraphic tradition and its practice, and also perhaps a sense of its endless capacity for innovation. It is such a capacious form and space, and really therefore lends itself to a great deal of innovation up until today. So. Um, as I mentioned, I'm going to share some glimpses from the 15th century from different parts of the uh, region, um, from poetic texts and Quranic verses to contemporary art. Um, and 
again, it's, this is not a detailed study of Saidi's style, and I certainly don't forget the legacy of such artists as Hossein Zanderudi, Ardashir Mohassa, some of the sort of great um, graphic artists, or the efflorescence, really, of graphic arts in the 1960s and 1970s in Iran. There are some great studies about that. But I just want to take this opportunity to consider, as a starting point, um, what kind of contextual understanding a historical collection the position from where I speak, um, might offer in approaching this very rich and multifaceted art form that is graphic art. So, imaging the word, that's what I'll call it. Um, here are just two examples among hundreds in our collections. Um, but this is a, a, a moment just to think about how calligraphy has enjoyed a particular prominence in the Islamic world. It comes from um, it has a particularly central role in Islamic culture, um, and as such, calligraphy was employed to animate surfaces, to lend objects and buildings meaning and significance, and really to infuse them with a, with a sense of great refinement and beauty. So this tradition of transforming letters and words into forms really, through the hands of calligraphers, became one of the most potent visual symbols um, certainly in the arts of the Islamic world, and also in the visual culture in Iran and in the wider region. Um, just to, so, um, let me just run really quickly through some of the fundamentals. Um, so, really, the first sort of important script would have been the Kufic script um, used for primarily for Quran folios. And with this, as Islam spread, uh, the development of additional scripts um, over the centuries took place, and also more cursive forms that would have been used and particularly uh, embody a sense of, of the poetic. So it was often used in poetic texts, certainly in, in uh, Persian art. Um, and by about 1350, mid-14th century, the Nastali script evolved. Um, very briefly, it's, it, it is a script commonly known and seen in poetic texts. Um, the Nastali script, from what I understand of Saidi's work um, and other graphic artists, that is kind of a, a, a base script or root from which the broken Nastali or Shikasta developed and other uh, sort of the more practice form of calligraphy, I think, that's called um, Siamash, I think. Um, and those are the kind of more contemporary, modern and contemporary forms that you see in a lot of graphic arts um, and in the work of, of artists today. Um, so, just to explain a little bit more, uh, on the left is, uh, again, a wonderful example of how poetic texts uh, really integrated calligraphy, um, words, and image to create a full experience for the person that was encountering this story and encountering this image. Um, this is um, an illustration of an idealized school scene in a mosque. It comes, it's a, a, an extract from the Golestan, the Rose Garden by Sadi. Um, this is a calligraphy from the 16th century. So again, you see in the prayer niche, in the architectural elements, um, you see the integration of calligraphy there. So there were very, many different ways. Um, script that was written uh, diagonally. Um, um, so on the right, for instance, uh, uh, this is uh, a calligraphy of actually fragments. So in a way, the word and the book form was such a, a treasured art form that fragments of calligraphy from other texts or earlier texts would have been 
um, reassembled with new borders painted. So these manuscripts were constantly being sort of disassembled and reassembled in certain ways. And, and the works of the very important calligraphers in a lineage of sort of students learning calligraphy would have been preserved and then um, reconfigured, if you will, in new folios. Um, again, this is an example from the 18th century. This is Safa Bitteron. Um, and this, I thought, just had a nice quote that I wanted to share. A man with skill has at every fingertip a key to the lock of daily sustenance. A hand from which nothing comes is an incredible burden to the body. So again, really, this, this really poetic sense of how important um, calligraphy and the teaching of calligraphy was. Um, all right, these are just another couple of examples from many of how script was used to embellish, would take the shapes of an axe head or a cenotaph cover from Ottoman Turkey or uh, um, from different parts of the Persian Empire. Uh, so again, calligraphy, a, a very important um, form for, uh, a very important aesthetic form. And when you see across the centuries, now again, these are uh, 17th, 18th century cenotaph cover from uh, Turkey, uh, 17th century accent from Iran, and amongst all the other examples, um, you, you really get a sense of how important calligraphy is uh, to the art and the visual culture of the region. So it, it helped me, in a way, parse perhaps some of the roots or the cultural or historical context that surrounds artists like Saidi. This is actually the work of a contemporary artist. Now, this exploring the sort of inherent visual and conceptual qualities of calligraphy um, is still something that um, challenges artists uh, from, um, from the region, uh, certainly from the Islamic world and more broadly. Um, sometimes they're elaborating on existing writing styles, as you may see with Saidi or Zenderudi or others. Um, um, sometimes the form relates to and the choice of calligraphic form are knitted together integrally, and sometimes they have no relationship at all. It is about the sort of aesthetic uh, qualities of, a, of using script. Um, in this case, these are uh, talismanic amulets. It's actually a group of 27 in our collections. Um, these are uh, by an Algerian artist, Rashid Karayishi. Uh, they are inspired by the forms and shapes of the Arabic alphabet, um, etched onto the surface of metal plaques. So he's taken um, sort of familiar traditional forms, including the talismanic amulet, but interpreted it in, in a conceptual sense to create uh, this particular work. This is more than we said, but I'll try to go quickly. Um, this is another example, Ali Omar Hermes. Um, he's actually born in Libya, uh, trained in England. Um, and again, another example of an artist who uses the forms of Arabic, Arabic calligraphy. This is the letter Kaf. Um, completely rethinking the relationship of the letters, the scale, the form on paper, um, to, and then adding additional text in there. Um, Quite simply, a composition for him that expresses the power of expression, the power of um, letter on page, and how he can visually convey that. Um, now, this is impossible to see, but this is an earlier work by Shirazi Bushari, um, Iranian diaspora. Um, she is based in London, primarily. This is uh, a work from the late 90s in our collections. Um, 
This is not a very large black canvas on which with graphite pencil she's written the word Allah in concentric circles all the way around. So it's, it's about writing, but it's about a kind of link between um, uh, perhaps a transcendent or spiritual or meditative act that writing can invoke and can be married to or linked to in a sense. And, and as you, it's, it's actually wonderful to see it in person and I hope to pull it out soon, have an occasion to pull it out, but you really start to be attuned to um, the act, her, her act of writing on this surface and the materials used. So it's another interpretation of using text or writing. Um, this is a work that I showed, I think it was, gosh, I don't remember now, 2010, maybe earlier. It's by Wise Kami, um, a well-known Iranian artist based in New York. Um, this is an example of how he used text, and not unlike Shiraza Ushiari, put text in a form to emulate something else. Uh, in this case, this is a 10 by 12 foot canvas and printed verses from the Masnavi, um, the book of Masnavi and Manavi. It's, it's the, first, uh, the first quatrain of Rumi's uh, famous poem. Um, and printing them on little bricks and then placing them in concentric circles. And as the light hits the center, it's in a way, it relates to other works in his body of work, but it is turning text into an architecture. That's as if the dome has been turned forward onto another plane. And again, this almost meditative quality, um, a meditative way of approaching uh, text. Um, so those those were just some quick examples. You know, there are of course uh, many examples that one could cite, um, but um, it it is interesting from my perspective at the Fear Sackler to encounter a contemporary artist and see if this doesn't always happen, but sometimes there are opportunities to maybe tease out and better understand some of the historical roots by looking into our collections or looking into um, some of the uh, historical um, traditions that, that we address in our museum. That's not always the case. Not all of our artists are so easily linked to tradition, and that's good. There are ruptures. Um, but in this particular case, and in Saidi's case, it was um, a way to look at the interplay between word and image through time and through media, and um, the sort of interplay between tradition and this um, relationship to more contemporary sensibilities, um, more conceptual approach, different conceptual approaches to language. So that's the quick version. Okay, thank you very much. And we only have about uh, 10, 15 minutes for questions. I'm just gonna ask one really uh, for anyone who'd like to answer. Um, this is obviously a, a good news story that comes from the Middle East, that there's such incredible creativity going on despite all the problems that, that are afflicting the region. And I just wonder if anyone want, would like to address the, the question of censorship in Iran now. Uh, how many people are still able to function in the society there and produce this sort of art? Is it safer to stick with things like graphic design and calligraphy? Uh, how many people have been essentially pushed into the diaspora because of their artistic uh, desires? Um, is this a bridge or is it a wall? <laughs> so anybody who'd like to, to answer um, that question, please do. And then others, please think of yours. I could 
could say a few words because I because yeah you did a, you did yeah. an exhibition <laughs> in interim so so I mean is this a bridge between us or is it a wall? Oh, I think it's very difficult to say if it's one or the other. I think there's it's a bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, the experiences of obviously each artist is different, but to speak in somewhat general terms, um, and I think that every every person in Iran deals with the government in this way, it's sort of a push and pull. It's always, you know, the government, especially with regards to the arts, it's quite a, a either you're dealing with students, art students, or you're dealing with an elite that is sort of well-versed in this. It is an interesting, very semi-private sphere, the gallery space, even the, the um, Tehran Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, and it is a public, it's a semi-public, sorry, I said private, semi-public space where anyone can just walk in, but it isn't really in the public because you have to be sort of a part of that community to know where they are. It's not impossible to find, but a regular person would not just walk into a gallery. Mm -hmm. So, um, and sort of you see this development of a scene. So for example, um, the openings are on Fridays in Tehran, at least and I'm speaking in terms of uh, the Tehran scene. Um, Everybody is gallery hopping in Tehran from yeah. all parts of the city and you, you obviously, you know, it's a fashion show as well and this and, you know, you see a very small group of people that will come every week and so, yes, there is a lot of freedom in the sense where at galleries there are back rooms, literally called back rooms, where artists can show more risque work. If it's nudity, if it's something more political, there is that space that you, those relationships that you can develop with galleries themselves, that they always have to be a little sort of careful of sort of government, um, you know, representatives sort of, so to speak, that come and sort of check on things. But it's always this little, so it's a gray area, I would say, um, in terms of artists, there are a lot of difficulties about living in Iran. It's not just being censored in the arts. I mean, graphic design, graphic designers in Iran now are sort of considered as artists. I think that was something that I had a difficulty with. For example, just come working with designers for the catalog for my show, where I would say, no, I want this like this, like that. And they were like, no, this is my design. And I'm like, no, I'm hi you're hired, so you do what I want. <laughs> and they just didn't understand this difference of a designer, graphic designer being for hire. Um, and you're not an artist per se, you're, you're a designer and an artist being, you know, they, they have their sort of creative freedom in certain ways. And because of the history of graphic design in Iran, where it is regarded as an art, which is wonderful in its own right. So I was coming into. Um, so, but, but basically, you know, you see, um, there's a lot of leeway, at least now, mm -hmm. because the current situation is sort of more open. Again, they may close it, but it might be tightened two months from now and then opened up a little. It's always a push and pull with the government and mm -hmm. with sort of, it, there's not like a, what I mean to say, there's not one answer. It sounds a bit like, under, yeah, it sounds <laughs> so a bit like underground music in a way. Yeah. I mean, that there is so much going on in Tehran that the average American would have no idea about, probably the average Iranian would have no idea about, but if, if, but the creativity is there, and I sometimes think we were talking about this earlier, that the, the pressures of the government actually create more creativity in some ways. Yeah, I think uh, I'd like to add that um, social media, uh, you have to consider when you're talking about censorship, social media has removed the barrier of distance and geography. So um, if you want to get news, 
you go on Facebook and Twitter and you, you know, use all kinds of information and that uh, in terms of censorship um, has changed. The scene has changed because of mass media. Uh, it can, it has really raised awareness about rallies, what's happening, you know, like in 30 seconds you would know what is going on. So censorship in that regard has completely changed after cyberspace and internet. I think just to follow up on both points, it's, it's, it is hard to say because, I mean, I have not been to Iran, but I sense the inconsistency over time from Khatami or not, post Khatami. Um, but artists, they're, they're, social media and technology is hugely important, but artists are also traveling much more frequently between the major centers in Iran. There's a lot more back and forth and a great deal of exposure and conversation and ideas just in the form of the actual artist moving back and forth is happening a lot more frequently. There are those strange unfortunate blips where a filmmaker will be imprisoned or but for for the one person that you see in the news to whom that's happening there are other artists I'm communicating with that you know let's let's meet in Berlin okay you know let's meet in Paris let's meet in London so there's there's a lot of movement in and out yeah I think we should give credit to the Hatami government for its, quote, dialogue of civilizations, which really touched off this. Please, yes. If you're going to ask a question, use the microphone and press the button. So I think we have a voice recording, at least. I'm not sure how, how good our, our visuals will be, but at least we'll have a, a voice recording of the event. And, um, thank yeah. you very much. My name is Mina Marafat. I'm an architect, and I have uh, been studying Iran uh, since I left Iran. Uh, in 1979 or 78. Um, but I think that you, many of the papers and presentations raise some very interesting questions and, and problems that are inherent in the, the whole uh, understanding of what is happening in Iran. And I think Barbara's question, and I want to bring it back to that, but with a, with a nuance of uh, a broader meaning of what uh, it means, the wall or the an, an opening. Um, the art of Iran is integrated to its social setting in ways that very little has been written about. But in Iran, the carpet that we walk on is a work of art. It is truly magnificent. The architecture that we see in the most ordinary places all around the country is intricately tied to the study of the cosmos. Our poetry and the, the poetic way in which a person could be totally illiterate but knows all of the poems of Ferdowsi by heart. And that kind of duality, I think, is almost, uh, it, there's a, there is an inherent contradiction where you cannot explain it in Western terms. That on one, one hand, and the other side that I think one of the things we should remember, Iran is a country that has been invaded so many times that we have learned a new language of knowing how to deal with inv in invasion by internalizing the external and externalizing the in internal. We even have an architectural term for it, andaruni biruni. We don't have the, the very open society that we see in the West, and yet we have a kind of exploration of the interior and the botin, the, the theoretical side of things that are so fundamentally deep that 
people in the West will not even understand it. That's what is emanated in some of the calligraphy that we saw and in some of the artwork. What I think is very interesting is that as someone who visited Iran a few times since the revolution, I was struck by the fact that graphic arts exploded in Iran from the drawings that we see on the face of the buildings, uh, the shahada, various kinds of uh, the, the martyrs, uh, pictures, extraordinary posters. We could make a world-renowned poster series just from those, to the fact that calligraphy is a safe art. And that if you don't deal with, you know, you can literally write political things and nobody would be able to read them. So calligraphy is a very, very safe, but very, it, it flourished. And I met so many young artists whose handwriting just became exuberant. So I think that the fact that we have calligraphy, we don't have the counterpart in America, by the way. We have developed scripts in the typography sense. So our typography is well developed, but our handwriting has gone down the tubes, very little. So I think that itself is a very interesting counterpart to develop in curatorial artistry and museology as well. Well, I, I think, you know, without making too many strong parallels, um, but if you, if you look at certain linguistic traditions and certainly certain poetic traditions, ways of expressing that are highly nuanced, um, that becomes can become the same resource for artists to, uh, for strategies for artists to express. I mean, in, in, for Chinese artists, for instance, or, Ch or Chinese paintings, where a certain image will be known by a certain group, but is actually highly political and critical from the 16th century or earlier. You know, there, there is a much, uh, perhaps in, in certain areas, there is a much deeper um, facility with working with linguistic nuance. Um, in Iran, certainly the poetic tradition, of course I've only read in translation, but certainly this deep poetic tradition, I mean, the, the enduring power of the shamameh, for instance, you know, that it continues to be a source for inspiration for artists, uh, or, um, you know, the, the ways in which these texts still um, resonate for, um, in popular culture too, not just in the fine arts or in sort of the elite or scholarly realms, but in, the, in popular culture. So th there is something interesting there without coming to any hard and fast conclusions, but um, linguistic nuance, I, I would agree in some ways, is much more highly refined than perhaps you know, what, we're, than what we're used to speaking or, or ex how we express ourselves today uh, in English. I think in English we are interested in more direct communication. Yeah. We don't have the subtlety uh, that people in the Middle East have had to develop over centuries, and that's one of the reasons we have so much trouble understanding each other. Well, yeah. I can also just oh, sorry, sure. Add the very something. Very press here. It's the button. Um, going back to the show that we did, the Cali Graffiti show. Actually, um, when you talked about the political that you can say in words, and for example, um, that sort of is what graffiti writing is about. It was about you know a group of very under you know a group of people who felt like they were on the outcasts of society and used language to actually speak up for themselves. And then that's why you see resurgence of graffiti, not only in Iran, where the graffiti movement is actually very alive and very interesting, that's a whole other topic, but even throughout the Arab world during the Arab Spring and the uprisings. Going back to graffiti and the, you know, the use of calligraphy 
not just um, you know drawings and, and visuals, but writing itself, calligraphy itself, and using it to be political. And the idea, if you think about the connections of calligraphy and um, you know religious texts, writing on mosques, saying actually sometimes many you know quite strong statements written around the domes of mosques. I mean, this is a tradition that, you know, is goes way very, you know, goes back many, you know, many centuries. And so it's it, it it's an interesting, there's many different sort of mushrooms around the world that can so use that uh, odd analogy. But um, it's a very interesting topic. And I think that Iran is not the only place where it exists. So there, you know, but um, I think there's a lot of different interesting I think to the to the topic of censorship or whether there is a healthy um, forum, healthy debate um, in society. I think it's um, it's easy. And this is something that I have thought more about since doing the Ahmed Mantra show. Is um, you know the the general public reaction? My God, he's really critical. Of how does he get away with living in Jeddah and continuing to work in this vein? It's very vocal. And so it's, it was an opportunity to um, think a little bit more about how, especially in the city and we're in, there's a certain mediatized view that perhaps generalizes, for a general public, not for, for, for those here, but for a general public, the idea that there isn't any expression or there really isn't much freedom of expression, when in fact, in fits and starts, and maybe in different regimes or different political phases or periods, there is a healthy sort of agora. There is a healthy social debate going on. Um, and artists are full in and a part of it. Um, the, the, there, there isn't such an authoritarian view that nobody expresses any dissent. Um, and, and I think that's something that is important to remember and reinforce, and it's most effectively done, from my view, by looking at artist works like Ahmed Mantur or um, the Iranian artists that we're looking at. It's, it's a healthy debate. They, they don't shy away. Do we have time still? I know that you were having... Last, last remark, and then I invite you to stay. Can I make stay. a walk after him? Sure, real quick. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Cameron Ashkar. A um, um, little bit of background. My father's from Iran, and my mom's American, so the... the uh, curiosity and the idea of um, building bridges between that what seems to be a duality sometimes and often being much more uh, um, harmonious in the extremities of each has been something that continues to interest me throughout my life so i really enjoyed this and i want to thank everybody for what you've contributed my question has um to do with the scene that that you were mentioning in iran right now and the fact that in uh, iranian art there's such a um, profound a spiritual context a lot of the time especially in uh, traditional art forms and m my question has to do with the, the cultural context with grappling with this new uh, political milieu with um, the art and the spiritual and just kind of what is how are they dealing with that how is that that um, expression coming out as far as the spirituality or the religion in, in, in relationship to this freedom of expression and you know what what is the ideology and the that within that scene before let me take your question too and then we'll, we'll wrap sure, up yeah. sure. oh. 
Hi, my name is Nabi Dharuzi. I didn't have a question for today, but I just wanted to say when you were talking about censorship and if it's a wall or a bridge, it's definitely a wall, but um, what it is, it's a it's kind of a manifestation of stereotypes and societal rules that I think is basically rooted in fear. So it's not a bad thing to have censorship because as an artist, if you can see it, then it's something that you're like, aha, that's something that I can leverage. So it's something kind of like um, um, cement that's hard. On one side, it's really hard to break through and you can't make sense of it. But if you can go around it and find out the ingredients that made up that censorship, then it's a lot easier to kind of find a soft spot in it and try to understand why that all came together and kind of formed the censorship. So as an artist, it's kind of one of those things in your palette. You have to, as an artist, be resourceful and creative enough to figure out that puzzle and then showcase that to people in a comfortable way so that they're no longer afraid of it. So That's a fantastic comment. Would anyone like to... Uh... Just so I can understand your question. So you're wondering like how artists are dealing with this history uh, in which the arts was very uh, sort of rooted in religion or Yeah, but more from a cultural perspective, right? Like um Sorry, I don't understand. <laughs> well, well let me try. Can, can I can yeah, 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 I see if I can get get to this. Um and, and this may have been sort of unduly influenced by, by some of what I said, but that taking Iran, for example, um, calligraphy and its development, while it has strong roots in Islamic tradition, that's not to say that throughout the centuries, uh, Iran, Iranian art has a, a deep history, both secular and religious. Um, the, the evolution of different scripts, for example, for more poetic texts, um, or the Kufic script for the Quranic texts, that there is there was a healthy, um, um, uh, an equally healthy pursuit of secular art forms. Sure. So you know, it's I think that without being too without determining too much, but you know, fast forward to now. Um, it's not unusual to have, um, to approach or to be practicing art equally comfortably, whether it relates to religion or spirituality. No, yeah, that's fine. But I'm asking more of the cultural context of on the ground. What are the what are the young people at, um, uh, gravitating towards? Because I'm not only talking about religion. I'm talking about the deep spiritual perception of the Iranian people historically now with this new like secular let's be materialistic idealist like let's be part of the world dialogue how are Iranian youth grappling with that you know ancient past of a very spiritual tradition you know the, the poetry from Iran and the spirituality that comes with that it's immense so to say that it's like secular I understand what you're trying to say but I'm asking more about how are the Iranian youth dealing with that you know Legacy, well, cultural legacy. No, dealing with what they're up against now as a as a as a burgeoning, um, you know. Group I don't see of it as something being up against anything. I think it's just navigating all these. I think there's a huge of, diversity. Yeah, I mean, of course, first of all, we've yeah. just seen a handful of artists. I don't think you can generalize. About yeah, it's hard to like generalize. This. Well, I'm not trying to generalize. I'm trying to get an understanding from what you, what you sort of marked through my experience. Right. Quickly, quickly, um, that there's. I think it's just navigating these parts of 
their identity and their history with everyone. I mean, we can all understand that we have contradictions. There are contradictions in societies everywhere. I mean, Iran is full of contradictions, and the U.S. is full of contradictions. Europe is full. Everywhere is full of contradictions. You, everyone inside themselves, will be full of contradictions. I think that's the reality. Where they, you'd be very surprised. Many, many young Iranians still um, know a lot of poetry by heart. That you don't have to be. Secular or spiritual or religious, you can be. I know many devout uh, young people that are actually truly devout, so practicing that know all of their poetry because a lot of the poetry. You're right. Was very spiritual. Was very religious and was very sort of. And that's. I don't want to say pure. Like it. It was about the very Sufi form of um, of religiosity, mm-hmm. of spiritualism. Um, so I, I don't think there there necessarily is this sort of. It's, there's no. There's no clash. I think mm. it's just existence. Part of the popular culture. Yeah, I think it's just it's, it's normal. normal. It's normal for them. Okay. Clearly, we could go on a lot longer. I yeah. want to thank those of you who came. This is not a typical Washington event, as you can see, uh, but I, I have learned so much from our speakers. I'm really grateful to you, and uh, I hope we'll continue this conversation. I hope we'll find a way to put a lot of this online so that people who didn't come will have a chance to to hear uh, and watch uh, this this incredible program. Thank you very very thank much. You.